We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Good evening, everyone. I'm so thankful you're here. Pray you've had a good week, good Sunday so far. I'm excited to be with you tonight. I couldn't wait to get here. Nehemiah is one of my favorite books in the Bible. People that know me well say, you say that about every book of the Bible. And I really do, but I love Nehemiah. I think we need Nehemiah today. Whenever I get to teach or preach Nehemiah, I entitle it True Grit. I'm not talking about the movies necessarily, but I'm talking about real courage. And I believe it takes, this is a good man. He's going to have a special place in heaven for that right there. I just got back from Boston, Massachusetts and uh, Stockbridge, Massachusetts. My wife and I have always wanted to go see the Norman Rockwell Museum. That was one of the things that I love to take her to. And we got to see all of those paintings that that he did a long time ago. And I just love to, uh, I just felt like I wanted to walk into one of those paintings in old America and the beautiful stories that those paintings told. And and it, it reminds us of happy and good times. Nehemiah is a, uh, is a politician. He is going to be a leader in this book, as we're going to see, but he is not a, a priest. He's not, he's not a scribe. He's not a spiritual leader at all. He's a politician. He's a governor. And we understand in this book how easy it is for a people a city or a a state, a a country, to do good things when they have good leaders and how difficult it is to do well when we don't have good leaders. That could be in the church, in a family, or whatever group of people we're talking about. When we have good leaders that are setting examples and showing us what is right to do, it is so much of a great uh, encouragement to do well, to do the right things. And Nehemiah was one of those. Corey started out, and I'll be uh, sharing with you for the next three weeks. I, I can't wait to look at. There are seven different oppositions that the enemy throws at Nehemiah and the Jewish people to stop them. And I just want to tell you here today, you're here tonight. I pray for Jesus. This month, Tommy is focusing on evangelism in the early service and in our church I'm going to do that tonight. I I don't assume, I pray that every one of you here know Jesus, but I don't assume that because only you and Christ know your relationship with him. You may be near Jesus. He may be near you tonight, but if he's not in you, you're not saved. You may say, I've tried and I've tried to be a good Christian and do the right things, but it would just be like trying to drive your car without any fuel in it. Uh, trying to operate machinery without it being plugged in. You, you don't have the power source if you don't have the Savior. And that's not being, uh, I'm, I'm not condescending towards you. I'm just begging you. Spurgeon talked about if someone goes to hell, let it be over our bodies, grasping around their knees, telling them about Jesus. And I don't apologize for that. I want to share Christ because he is my life and and the only purpose that I'm still here on the earth. Nehemiah is going to face, as the video you saw, the Jews are returning back to the land of Israel. They are to restore the relationship with God. They had walked away from God. God had not failed his word, but God is bringing them back in spite of them. Has God ever blessed you in spite of you? Uh, I started pastoring at 19. I do not 
encourage you to do that. In an old country church that had an old cemetery across the road, and beam, so you walked across the wood and you just heard it creak when you did. I baptized people in a horse trough. God blessed that church, with, uh, which they've invited me to come back and to preach. Um, I was there in 1980, and I'm, I'm Lord willing, supposed to go next uh, month and go preach. They've got a nice big building now, and it's going to be a homecoming for me, so would you pray for that? But he blessed that church in spite of me. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's not about Nehemiah. It's about God. And as you know, uh, Corey is so good about giving us the history of a book and laying the foundation. They have gone back to rebuild the wall. It's been 14 or 50 year, 15 years since Ezra brought a group back. They didn't get a lot done. And now God's using Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer to the king in another land. <clears throat> he asked permission. He prayed. God answered his prayer. And the king gave him favor. He just wrote him a blank check. Take your people back there. Go back to Jerusalem. How much do you need? Spend all that you need. He gave them arms, an army to protect them so they would be safe and no one could harm them. And it was just like, whatever else you need, go back and take care of this, Nehemiah. He was greatly respected by, by the king. They began the work, and I, I want to assure you, if you walk with Christ, no matter how old or young we are tonight, and thank you for those that are tuning in online, God bless you. No matter how old any of us are, if we desire to walk in the will of God, we're going to have an opposition. We need to teach our children that. Now, we don't, we don't send them off to kindergarten and say, oh, there's going to be a lot of people that just don't like you because you've got a cross and you go to church on Sunday. No, we don't do that to our children. But we need to train them through life situations and through our lives. There will be opposition. There'll be opposition no matter what you choose. Some will want to go with you. Some will not. But I would rather have opposition with me going in the right direction than have opposition of myself going in the wrong direction. They're doing the will of God. They're going back to Jerusalem. They're starting to build. And the bad guys come out. They're jealous. And that's where we are. Uh, I thought it was great last week as Corey talked about uh, the, the groups of people that were rebuilding the wall. Do you remember? There were politicians there. There were rich people. There were poor people. There were men. There was a group that brought their daughters. He didn't have any sons. He brought their daughters. And I'll guarantee you, those ladies outworked all the rest of the men. I've coached boys' little league and girls' little league. And I'll take the girls any day. They'll play their hearts out for you. There were... People who their bosses didn't want them to work, they worked anyway. Some people did two different jobs. And it was unity with diversity. Let me say that again. We are not uh, supposed to all conform to one another's likes. When you leave church tonight, I've asked you, take somebody to, to lunch, with, uh, dinner with you. Go home and play some games at their homes. Some of the greatest memories that I have are after Sunday evening church in people's homes or getting together and just having a good time. That doesn't mean you have to eat every food that I like. Thankfully, it doesn't mean that I have to eat every food that you like. We are not to conform except to the word of God, but we are unity with diversity. We are different, and God made us different. Now, I'm not uh, advocating what the world wants to, to say today. We're all different in our sins and you need to accept me the way I am. That's not what I'm talking about. 
I'm talking about we are different in the way God created us and his will for us. And we saw this tremendous group of people, all different kind of folk, rebuilding that wall. The high priests were there. They had their brothers there. There were rich people. There were poor people. There were strong people. There were weak people. There were people from all different types of families and even from other nations around that heard what was going on and God brought them together. In the church, there is no room for prejudice. You and I should be setting examples of the least uh, prejudiced people on the planet. I get really upset when someone equates bad, sinful behavior with the color of skin someone has. They talk about someone being a minority because they have a certain color of skin that might not be as uh, prevalent in an area. Uh, and then they try to equate that with sinful, ungodly behavior and say they're both these, these factions and they're both these groups of people that are being mistreated. Uh, if I was one of those minorities uh, in that situation and someone talked about me, I would get upset that you lumped me in because of the color of my skin with someone who is choosing to sin. There should be no prejudice in the church. Uh, I learned from the time I was a little boy, red and yellow, black and white and brown, all different colors of skin. Jesus loves the little children. And it's going to be like that in heaven, by the way. We better get used to it here because it's going to be like that in heaven. The first attempt to stop Nehemiah out of seven in this book is to get a law passed that what they're doing is wrong. Can that happen in America today? Can, it get, can somebody have the audacity to try to pass a law against the Bible? But well, we've seen our Supreme Court fail miserably. We've seen our local uh, officials fail miserably, passing laws not in accord with God's word. We need to love them and pray for them. And that'll be part of the rest of this message here tonight. I'll, I'll zero in in just a moment. I call it true grit over the whole book because I believe it did take great courage for Nehemiah and the Jewish people to rebuild that wall in a time of great adversity. And I believe it, it takes great courage to be a good Christ, Christian today. Would you agree? And it's going to take more courage to walk with Christ in the days to come. The first one is we're going to try to uh, pass a law, get them guilty, put them in jail. Uh, had that ever happened in the scripture? The Bible teaches us about Daniel. Daniel, you're not going to find anything wrong with him. He's a model citizen. But you need to find something that would be against his God. And he's not going to break his God's law. Okay, he prays three times a day. Let's pass a law that you cannot pray to anyone but the king. What, what did Daniel do? Well, since it's the law, I've got to obey the law. The Bible teaches us we are to obey the law unless it contradicts the law of God. The law of God is higher and we must obey him. Peter said in the book of Acts, we ought to obey God rather than men. But we need to obey the laws of the land. I don't like putting on my seatbelt. I understand. I don't like driving the speed limit. I understand. I don't like paying taxes. I understand. By the way, in Boston, I looked for some tea in a harbor and I couldn't find it. They told me that they've covered up where the harbor was and it's not water anymore. So I couldn't find where the Boston uh, tea party was. But we are to follow God's law above all. 
So the first thing they did was try to get them to pass a law to get them guilty. The second thing is they're going to use a tactic that terrorists use, and that is to frighten them with anger. Anger is a weapon from hell. We'll see that. If you'll turn with me there again to Nehemiah chapter 4. As you're turning there, I'm going to read some verses in the Scripture. Those of you who take notes, please write these things down. Proverbs 25, 28 says, Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit, a man who cannot keep from getting angry. Now, when I said that, did anybody's name come to your mind or maybe their picture? It could have been your dad. could have been a boss. Sadly, it could have been your, your, uh, your spouse, your child, someone that has uncontrollable anger that has caused great problems. Probably none of us here tonight cannot relate to that in our family, in our work situation. I've seen an elder with an uncontrollable anger issue, destroy a church. I've seen it destroy families. I've seen it destroy children's lives. I've seen wives. You wives are supposed to be held up in a great place of honor by your husband. Do you remember in the book, uh, all through the New Testament, Jesus, in a time when women were not elevated, he always elevated women. He lifted them up. And you wives should be the queen of your home. You ought to be honored and loved and placed in a special place by your husband. Shame on them, your husband, if they do not do that. But many do not do it because of anger. So the Bible says there, uh, a city that doesn't have a wall around it, no protection, is like a man who doesn't have control over his spirit. Uh, Galatians 5, the fruits of the spirit, one of those things, the last one is, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, that means control by the Holy Spirit, that we don't fly off the handle. We're not quick to anger. We're not uncontrollable. I want to tell you that's one of the weapons of hell. That is one of the weapons the enemy would use to harm. James 1.9, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I've got a question for you. Is our God, our Father in heaven, is he slow to anger? Some people talk about that vengeful, wrathful God of the Old Testament. He waited 1,800 years to pour out his judgment on some of those nations that were rebelling against him. Do you have that kind of patience out here on university? I-35, 635, that's one of my favorites. I just think God's going to take me to heaven someday on 635 because I just can't get down there. Uh, aren't you glad our Father in heaven slow to anger? Oh, I'm so glad. I told you this before, but I love it. Billy Graham was preaching in the Great Crusade one time, and a man stood up and began to heckle him. He yelled loudly at him, and he said these words, I defy God, if he is real, to strike me dead in five minutes. 
And you can imagine how quiet. It just got silent all over the auditorium. I defy God if he is real to strike me dead in five minutes. And you know how you always want, you think of something to say after the fact. That's the way I am. I can't think of it on the spot, but Billy Graham did. He said, do you think you can exhaust the patience of Almighty God in five minutes? Oh, I love that. I wish I could think of things like that at the time. If we could, if we could make God so angry and manipulate him and cause him to do things, we've got him. I always thought about a prize fighter, a prize fighter. If he's going to fight, he must be under control because if you can make him angry, he gets wild and he loses all of his training and you can manipulate him. That's a crafty weapon of the enemy. And that's the weapon, the, the second one out of seven that the enemies are going to fight against Nehemiah and the Jews. Uh, listen to this. Show me a man that has an uncontrollable anger issue, and I'll show you a man that can be manipulated and made to sin so easily. This is a man that can cause so much harm in families, churches, businesses, society. Sinful anger is a grenade with the pin pulled. Anger. Now, you may say, Mike, before you go any further, I know some verses that talk about there's a right kind of anger. Well, there is. The Bible teaches us God's angry with the wicked every day. God's angry with those that commit sin and harm other people. But he doesn't live in a state of uncontrollable anger that causes him to sin. Righteous anger is under the control of God. James is the one that says, the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. Just because we get mad about something doesn't mean we're doing right. If God gets mad about it, he's doing well. So I understand there is a righteous anger, and that's not what's happening here. The second attempt to try to stop the work, to try to make them so angry that, that they're afraid, and that is a form of terror. A terrorist not only threatens to harm, but it is to keep you afraid. Verse 1 says, now it came about when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall. He's one of the bad guys. They actually found in 4 BC a piece of pottery that had the name Sanballat written on it. And it refers to his name as an administrator in the city. They found an artifact. He wanted to rule and he saw the Jews' actions as a personal attack on his ambition. He thought, no, we let these Jews rebuild. They'll become a nation. They won't pay taxes to us. And I won't get to be the big guy. It says, he became furious and very angry and mocked to the Jews to make fun of them. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? <coughs> Excuse me. Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Are there people today that when someone attempts to do something they think is right that are ready to criticize? We live in a world where social media is everywhere. Now, I'm not an axe-wielding crusader against all kinds of technology. Uh, I'm not against social media. I love to see a picture of my little grandson 
Uh, I love to see friends that I went to school with and, and talk to them. But just like anything, it can be used for good or it can be used for bad. And here, here is a person that is trying to report everything bad that he can to speak evil of someone. Jesus said, marvel not if they hate you. Really, they don't hate you. It's me that they hate. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall but suffer persecution. You know, I think we as a church need to be prepared for that. I heard a man talk this week and he said, the churches have been entertaining all their congregations so long that we're not ready for battle. And it made me think. Uh, we need to be ready for battle. We are on a battleship, not a cruise ship. We're on a battlefield, not a playground. A terrorist, a terrorist can attack you psychologically, psychological warfare. There can be uh, fear tactics and threats. You know, sometimes they could threaten us and we're, we're prepared for that, but they may say, well, I know where your child goes to school and I know where your wife is and I know where they are right now. And that's what terrorists do. They try to make you afraid. That's what these men are trying to do against God's people, to demoralize them, to stop them from working. What if all throughout church history, every time the people of God started following God, doing something great, the enemy came to make them afraid, the people of God quit? Would we be sitting in a nice church here today? Would we be reaping some of the benefits that the blessings that those people prepared the way and God blessed them? I don't think so. There are people in the scripture that said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's a hymn writer that wrote, though none go with me, still I will follow. There's David who said, though 10,000 be set against me, I shall not be moved. There's Job who said, even when his wife said, curse God and die, he said, you're speaking foolishly. God's given, God's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm thankful for those courageous people that stood in church history and encourage us to do the same today. Not too long ago, I had a young person come to me and they talked to me and he said, I'm the only one. I'm the only one around me that doesn't agree that homosexuality is right and all the, the, the immorality that's going on. All the, my friends and all the people, and, they, and, and I opened up the scripture and I just said, look here, honey, look what it says. You've got a choice to believe God, walk with him, and it may seem like you walk by yourself for a while. You're not alone, but you'll also see some of those friends respect you one day. And she did. They all left her at first, but some of them came back around. And that's what you and I need to do too. We need to stand firmly on the truth of God's word and don't be afraid. The enemies that stopped the work in Ezra's time, the book before this that we studied, and now they're trying to do it again. Matthew Henry, a commentator of the past said, those who disagree in almost everything will unite in persecution. Hmm, that's an interesting thing. There are people that will disagree about everything, but it, when it comes to fighting against what God wants to do, they'll become friends. Did that happen with Herod? It did, didn't it? Herod and, and uh, was it Pilate? They didn't have anything to do with each other very much before. Was it Pilate? I think it was. And it said in their opposition against Jesus, they became friends. 
We can unite against the good. And notice what uh, the enemy goes on to say. <clears throat> can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was near him, and he said, even what they're building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. They're making fun of it. A little fox could jump on their wall, and it's going to fall down. I'm sure none of you on the playground in elementary school were ever made fun of, were you? But that's what the enemy does too, to mock the church, to mock God's people, to make fun of us. The real question is, how are we going to respond? And what will the man of God do? What will the woman of God do? We have some choices. We can retaliate. You were taught in school with every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. I can't believe that's still in there. I, I can't remember most things, but with every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. I'll never forget my little boy, about three years old, had a rubber band around his, his arm, his wrist. And I, he thought it was so cool. He could just do this. And I thought, he is about to get an education. And I thought, do I stop him? I don't want my little boy to hurt, but I want him to learn. And sure enough, he went, pop. And the loudest cry that you've ever heard there because there was an equal and opposite reaction. Most of us in our life have been a rubber band before. You can go out of here today and say, I heard a real theological lesson in church today. I'm a rubber band. Most of us are, have, in our lives have reacted and retaliated just like people have treated us. We leave off part of the golden rule, do unto others. That's not quite what it says, is it? So when they are made fun of, they're mocked, they're, they're frightened, they're, the, the anger is shown toward them, threatened, we have a choice. Are we going to retaliate? Are we going to be that rubber band? You do it to me, I'll do it to you. The Bible says Jesus, when he was threatened, threatened not. Jesus, when he was cursed, cursed not. I'm amazed at our Lord and Savior on the cross of Calvary who had the power to take all of those people's lives away with just his thought. They have beaten him and scourged him and cut him and spit on him and, and stabbed him and impaled him, mocked him and laughed him and laughed at him and, and derided him and cursed him. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be cursed. Ooh, that's a line that goes a little bit too far sometimes. And what did Jesus do to him? He prayed for them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's true grit. That's true grit. The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. I've watched that. I've practiced that in my life. When someone attacks you verbally with anger and tries to make you afraid or to manipulate you with anger, and you answer them with a soft answer. Not long ago, some of our security did that. Someone got out of line and began to curse and get physically violent and everything. And, and this, uh, this person of our security team, this, this woman was screaming and saying, you are this and this and this. And it was all kinds of ugly words. And he said, yes, ma'am. Everybody tells me I am. I know that I am. I thought that was so cool. You know, he could have he uh, reacted in retaliation and gotten, but everything she said bad about him, he said, yes. I picture him saying, yeah, my wife calls me that all the time. And 
because he had control of his spirit. And the enemy couldn't manipulate him with this weapon of anger like these guys are going to try to do. Let me go quickly. Uh, <clears throat> how are we going to, to respond? Are we going to threaten? Are we going to argue? Are we going to attack back? Proverbs 26, 4 is a great verse. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will also be like him. Answer a fool as his folly deserves, that he be not wise in his own eyes. There are some things that don't need an answer. Would you agree? I got a couple emails, one to me and one about me. You can get reviews. This is last week. And let me just say, they were not as kind as I hoped that my funeral, uh, the people that speak at my funeral would say about me. Uh, they had uh, the word Satan involved in there. They had the, the word putrid involved in there. And I won't go any further. And I pray that I've, I've never done anything but, but the same I've treated you with kindness and share God's word. But you know, I don't have to answer those. I don't have to answer those kind of things because I'm not in the business of, of uh, defending my reputation. I want to defend God's reputation. I want to defend this word. And as long as I really hadn't done anything to those people. Now, if I did, I need to go make amends. I need to apologize. And, but I hadn't. And I'd ask them to do what God's word said, and they got offended. So we need to be ready for that. Look at verse 4. Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their approach on their own heads. Instead of Nehemiah turning around and raising a fist and say, you do this to me, and I'm going to do it more to you, he prayed. He went to God. And I want to share with you, uh, the scripture in different places says, as you have done, so shall it be done unto you. Don't worry, God knows what the bad guys are doing. Sometimes we think, God, don't you see? If you want a great study, go read Habakkuk. Habakkuk starts off and said, God, don't you see what's going on in the land? It's like he's on vacation and hadn't, he needed information. Uh, don't you see what's going on? Uh, we're, we're at a mess and these bad guys have come and they've the corruption and all kinds of things. And go, go read that. And when, that, when God answers Habakkuk and God said, I got a plan, I'm going to do this. And Habakkuk's backing up and saying, Oh no, not that much. I didn't mean it that much. Sometimes we want God to know what's going on, but he knows there'll be a judgment day for every idle word. There's no wrong deed if it's not covered by the blood of Christ that will not be brought up and paid for. Did you know that? All the, right, the wrongs will be made right. Today, we hear of a lot of people being let out of prison because we have a new technology called uh, DNA testing. And I'm all for that. If someone's not guilty, get them out of prison and pay them back for all the time they've lost. Well, God has spiritual tests and he knows all the wrongs that have been done. Nobody's going to escape. There will be payday someday. But Nehemiah prays a certain kind of prayer. Oh, God, hear how we are despised. Return their approach on their head. Give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before you. For they have demoralized the builders. You know what Nehemiah did? He prayed for God to handle the enemy. And I've done that in my lives before. When people have wronged me, I've turned and I've prayed for their salvation because I want them to be saved. I've prayed for forgiveness if they can be forgiven. But I've also prayed, God, would you handle this? 
would you take care of that one and what they're doing? Uh, Psalm 69, Psalm 109, those are, those are imprecatory prayers. And all that means is the servant of God is praying, God, you take care of them. A vengeance, uh, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We are not to seek our own vengeance. And David in those Psalms and other ones prayed, God, you handle it. And imprecatory pray, prayer is, God, you take care of it. Sick them. Go get them. And if it's right, he will do that. Did Paul pray any prayer like that? In Galatians 5, very strong language, verse 12. I wish those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Pretty strong language, isn't it? Because people had snuck in the church and they were hurting new believers. And Paul was upset about it. Genesis 12 and the Abrahamic covenant, 12, 15, 17. God called out Israel, not because they were a greater nation than everyone else. God said, I called them out because I chose to. But he said, I will bless them that bless you. And I want to tell you something. God keeps his word. We may forget our word, but God keeps his. I will bless the people that bless Israel. And I will curse the people that curse Israel. I've always had a love for God's people in the land of Israel. I've been there and it's like no other trip. I've been around the world in different places. People say, what was your favorite trip? I have to say Israel by no comparison because it changes your life. Now that doesn't mean that we are to agree with everything the government of Israel does. It doesn't mean they're infallible. It doesn't mean a Jewish person doesn't, is not a sinner. That's not what he's talking about. But God made a promise to that nation that he's still going to fulfill in the end of time. He's not through yet. And he said, I'm going to bless the people that will bless my people, Israel. And if you want to be blessed, you'll do the same thing also. Have you ever had a church hurt? What I mean by that is you've been in a church and you expect there to be enemies against the cross. You expect people on social media to talk ugly and in certain uh, uh, stations around the world on television, you're going to expect enemy. But have you ever been hurt by somebody you loved? Have you ever been hurt by a family in the church that you were close to and you would have thought they're the last people? I wonder how Jesus felt when it says that he was wounded in the house of his friends. It's a betrayal. It's a hurt like nothing else. But I want to encourage you. They're building that wall, and the enemy is trying to frighten them. They're, they're being a terrorist. They're threatening them. And you and I need to be so prayerful and so upwardly turned in our attitude that we can't hear and we can't see the anger of those that are trying to harm us. Verse 6 says, so we built the wall. You mean the enemy didn't win? No, the enemy does not win. So we built that wall. The Old Testament, Joshua and Caleb had to wander around leading the children of Israel for 40 years, not because of their sin, but because of the sin of the rest of the people. When it came time to go into the promised land, the, the mountain was full of the Anakims, the giants, fierce people. And they came and told Caleb, that's the mountain with the giants on it. You remember what Caleb said? Give me that mountain. Don't you know the Anakim's there? Hey, that's a long time before Star Wars, by the way, Anakim Skywalker. Uh, don't you know that the giants are on that mountain? And he said, give me that mountain. 
For God has said, he has given it to us. And that's the courageous men and women you and I are called to be. If God said it, we know that he'll accomplish that. And we need to be courageous. You young people that are here today, you are so valuable. You young adults are so valuable to this church. I wish we were so full here tonight of young adults because you can be used by God so greatly. Don't anyone, don't let anyone tell you any differently. You may be here tonight the very first time. Thank you. God bless you for coming. We will love you and tell you the truth if you'll keep coming. You bring others with you. Fill this place up. God wants to use you. And it says, so we built the wall and the whole wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. God just gave them courage and energy and strength and they go all the way around the old city of Jerusalem and they built the wall up halfway all the way around, closed in all the holes. And that's what God will do for you and me too. If we're for him, he will give us strength always to do his will. Donald Campbell was one of the um, presidents of Dallas Theological Seminary. A lot of the pastors here in the church, and I was blessed to go to, to DTS. Uh, Campbell was one who was a, uh, the uh, president for a long time. And he wrote, and I'm just going to ask him to put them up on the screen. I'll do it real quickly. But he wrote some, some uh, characteristics of godly leadership. And I want you to think about, is this the way your pastors are? Is this the way your coaches and your teachers are? Is this the way our politicians and our leaders in town? Is this the way our politicians in our, in our country are? Let me read a few of them to you there. This is Nehemiah. He established a reasonable and attainable goal. He had a sense of mission. He knew what God wanted him to do. He was willing to get involved. You know, some people that, oh, I can't get involved in that. They don't want their reputation, their name on it, so they won't stick their neck out. He rearranged his priorities and to accomplish the goal. He patiently waited for God's timing. Ooh, that's a big one. We want to do it when we want to do it and tell God that it's the right time sometimes, don't we? It sure is a lot better waiting on God's time. He showed respect to his superior. I want to encourage you, be respectful to those that are in authority. It's popular now to, to, to not do that, but you do it and God will bless you. He prayed at crucial times. He made his request with tact and graciousness. He was well prepared and thought of his needs in advance. Jesus said, if you're going to build a tower, count the cost. He went through proper channels. He took time to rest, pray, and plan. He investigated the situation firsthand. He informed others only after he knew the size of the problem. He identified himself as one with the people. He didn't act like he was above everyone else. He set before them a reasonable and attainable goal. He assured them God was in the project, displayed self-confidence in facing obstacles, displayed God's confidence. He did not argue with his opponents. He was not discouraged by the opposition. He courageously used the authority of this position. Those are good attributes of a godly leader. That could be man or woman. And that's what we need in the church today. The, the world's getting more angry as every day goes by. And they're angry because God has shown them the truth and their lives are apart from him. How should we answer? Sometimes don't answer them at all. Pray for them. Encourage the body of Christ. Get together with people that build you up and don't pull you down. Take it to the Lord in prayer. 
Sing the good songs, the new ones and the old ones. Though none go with me, still I will follow. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he'll give you strength to do it. I want to close before we have communion in just a moment. Some of us have had angry dads. It's really easy for us to look at God like one of our parents. Would you agree? We have a tendency to think God's like one of our parents, either passive, doesn't care, absent, not around, weak, lazy, or angry. A lot of young people think God's angry because their dad or their mom were angry, angry people. And that's not God. God loves you. He is not angry with you. You may say, wait a minute, I've sinned. He poured his anger out on his own son on Calvary. So you don't have to experience the wrath of God. What a gift. You might have had a brother or sister. You might have had a boss that was angry and made your life miserable, a teacher, a coach. Boy, I had some coaches that were something else. Mm. Some of them are gone now. I hope they're in heaven. But we've got a good, good father. I read this not long ago, and I want to share it with you. It can be one of these two ways. This young man says, I really messed up. My dad's going to kill me. Or, I really messed up. I need to go call my dad. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to be. Anger destroys. Anger hurts. Ungodly, sinful man's anger is a terrorist. And it can destroy families and churches and businesses and cities and countries. And I've asked God for me to be angry at what he's angry about and nothing else. My little boy is about five years old and I love my children. He's 32 now and got a boy of his own. And I love the fact that he is having to say words out of his mouth that I said to him when he was little. He can't believe it. I'm saying what my dad said. It's a wonderful time in life right now. But my son was about five. And you got to understand, I was bound to determine that my children as preacher's kids were not going to be the worst kids in the church. They were going to mind. They were going to behave. They were going to do well. And I was way too strict on my children. I've told him that, I've repented, I've asked him to forgive me. That's long over with, but still that affected them and it affected me and, I, and, and, and it's a hurt in my heart. When my, my son had disobeyed pretty, pretty uh, clearly, they'd never did anything wrong. To, they've never caused us a moment of grief, but he had not done what he was supposed to do. And in my righteous anger, I sent him to his room and I was going to discipline him. Now I'm a little over six feet tall. I was probably 220 pounds at that time and he's a little guy, five years old. And I screamed at him. And that little five-year-old boy 
cried out to Jesus. Jesus. Because he was scared of his daddy. That never happened again. And I hugged my little boy and I told him how much I loved him and I've told him every day since then. And I've made a commitment to God that although my dad was an angry man and I had an elder that destroyed a church that I was pastor over of and there are angry people all around today that I would not be an angry man. And by God's grace, I'm not that way. Please. Don't let the enemy win. Don't let the enemy manipulate you. And don't let the sin of anger break your heart or scare your little boy or your little girl or your wife. That's not what God does for us. Anger. It's a terrorist and it has no place in our lives. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you tonight and we get the privilege of celebrating the Lord's Supper, sometimes called the Last Supper, but it's really not the last one because there's going to be a great supper in heaven. But you've prepared your disciples for, for that meal that you would eat with them. And you told them that that would be the last one you would eat this side of heaven. You had taught them your doctrine. You had lived a sinless and a perfect life in their presence. You had an enemy that was wanting to destroy you and soon you would go to Calvary to suffer and die in a cruel death. But Jesus' sin didn't win. And all the fear and the anger and the hatred and the terror of hell that was thrown out upon you did not defeat you. For you're God. And you're a good God. And good will triumph over evil. And you died on that cross, were put in the grave, and were raised from the dead so that we can, tonight can celebrate that fact. Lord, I thank you for these people that are here. And as we come to this cup and this bread, I'm going to ask you as we're all bowed before the Lord right now, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians, before we come to the communion table to examine our own heart, I'm examining mine right now. Would you do that personally? If you have any unconfessed, unrepented sin, would you just say, Lord, I'm sorry, wash me and make me clean. I do want to tell you that this cup and this bread is for believers. If you're not saved yet, please let the cup go by. Let the bread go by. This is for Christians. But if you want to know that you are a Christian, we're going to be here tonight for you to pray with you. God's in this place. He can make you born again this night, and you can walk out of this, this, this room a brand new person. So now we pray, Lord, that you would forgive us and cleanse us. Would you take anything out of our heart that we would bring to this table in an unworthy manner? And would you bless now this cup and this bread? And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.